0: That's right! We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to your book, the podcast literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan, and I'm delighted to bring you a bonus edition of the podcast with Emma Black, the winner of the Book Fuel fundraiser auction. Emma was a delightful guest. We talked about how she started listening to the podcast via my appearance on Backlisted, talking about Imogen by Julie Cooper, and about our mutual love of Meg's Wallitzer and Mason, about the joy and pain of working in the arts during the pandemic, and about how she found herself haunting a bookstore at midnight in Manhattan. So Emma, I'd love to start by asking you about your relationship with reading and what kind of reader you were growing up. So I was a very early reader.
2: Um, I definitely could read before I went to school, um, and the teachers didn't really know what to do with me. So I can remember being in like my reception class and being taken to the year one bookshelf because I was allowed to read to read those books. Really like the first book series. I can remember really
1: loving was um, The Owl Who Was Afraid of the Dark. And what was it about those books that you loved so much?
2: I can remember that they were really funny and just kind of, it was like family life, but kind of set, so there's The Owl Who Was Afraid of the Dark and then there was definitely one about a penguin that was called Penguin's Progress and that pun was lost on me as like a (laughs) six-year-old. And every now I'm like, oh, that's quite funny. Um, And I just remember they definitely had like reread value and a few years ago i was clearing out my childhood bedroom and found the set of them i was like we're not sending these to the charity shop these are like going in the loft until i have a big enough house i can i can bring them home to so i have a three and a half year old so we are currently very much doing all of those including five minutes piece um which is like Mrs. Large, who's the elephant in that, is like my like mum goals, because all she wants is a bath on her own without her children bothering her. I'm, like, yes, <laughs> that's all I
1: want. If I remember rightly, I think she's also quite a big fan of cake. Oh which. yes. So there's also a piece
2: of cake. My mum tells this story better than I do, but I was apparently adamant, I'd be probably about seven, I guess, um, that I wanted uh to read Anne of Green Gables and she was like, I think this is slightly too big for you And I sat down in WH Smith and like read out loud the first page. She's like, okay, fine, you can have
1: it. I love that idea of you kind of auditioning (laughs) to read a book. Yes, What was it about Anne of Green Gables? Because obviously you had an idea of what the book was. There was something about it that drew you to it before you'd actually met the book. I think... It was, you know, it was it was a girl. I mean, I'm
2: sadly. I mean, I'd wish I was a redhead, but I'm not. Um, you know, it was a girl on the cover, sort of tomboyish, which I definitely was, and I not think I just really kind of just resonated with it. And I think I'd have maybe have had it. I've got an older sister, and maybe she'd read it, and I was like, I really like this is the book for me. Um, and I think also at the same time, I think maybe the TV. I'm a child of the late eighties. I think the TV series was on and I think I kind of was all vaguely aware that, that was happening and it's, it's that thing I, I remember I know that I read it and I know that I loved it and I know that I have the whole series I can tell you very little about it now <laughs> um but yes they are yeah
1: kind of you know they're classics for a reason aren't they I'll try not to do a spoiler on the unlikely event that anyone listening is not familiar with Anne but I remember um my mother is the biggest 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 fan of Ella Montgomery and I think she's currently reading or rereading her many 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 journals mm. and there are lots of books of journals and letters um and I think my parents got me the I think I had like a a video of the TV mm. series I don't think I said sort I of saw it when it was on um but the 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 very very sad bit thinking of it <laughs> yeah. sort of feel so yes bad. yeah I no, think it's very sad uh, it's, it's very sad and so did you read the Hutt, like, kind of Anne's further adventures not Anne of Avonlea definitely because
2: I really remember I remember her marrying Gilbert it's all very lovely. And then they find the perfect house that's got, like, a river at the bottom of the garden. Um, and then there's this, yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's tragedy there as well.
1: Because I was definitely reading Laura Ingalls Wilder and Ella Montgomery at around the same time, in a mix of kind of reading these books and having them read to me. And I just remember this sense of, like, life is hard, life is really hard. <laughs> in North America. <laughs> yeah. Life is bleak. Yeah. It's tough. Um, and then actually a few years ago,
2: um, I was working with someone who's from Canada, and I was like, oh, whereabouts? I've never been to Canada. I was like, oh, where, whereabouts in Canada? And she's like, well, it's sort of kind of near Prince Edward Island. I was like, oh, oh my yes! God! I know! And she's like, is it because of Anna green Gables? I was like, yes.
1: <laughs> yes, She's like, that's all I anyone was knows. really hoping you were going to say that.
2: And then, again, it's like inspired... I was remembering this morning when I cleared out my, yeah, my childhood my bedroom, um, I fell into the chalet school. I don't know if... Did, did you read chalet school? They're kind of I must adjacent my, to Enableson.
1: Quite fully got into them at the time. I did have a go, and I think it might have been because I loved Mallory Towers yes. so much. But again, my mother, um, Chalet School super fan, because there are a lot of Chalet There School are a lot, and I know there, I've not read I know I've not read them all. But again, so I I think when I was
2: about ten, since like mid-90s, they re they re-released them in like these really beautiful covers. This is, like, pre-Amazon days, pre-Ebay days. And I remember, like, waiting for, like, number four to come out and then number five, even though these books are, like, decades old at this point. So I think I have the first 20, and then I think it stopped.
1: (laughs) That's such a gorgeous feeling, though, isn't it? That delayed gratification Mm. and that waiting. And I miss that. We have that so rarely now. Um, And, you know, and especially thinking about I have a complicated relationship with my kindle yeah. i just got a kindle last year partly for you know being sent pdfs as proofs which is an absolute treat and um you know reading pdfs of novels like on my phone and you know things instead sort of microsoft word i think it's like it's how the lace makers went so <laughs> yeah. like okay enough yeah. enough i need to acquiesce and i've been reading lots and lots of um quitlet and sobriety memoirs mm-hmm. and but anyone with any sort of addictive personality, it's like you can think of a book, you see a book, and you, you hit buy it. and yeah. it's yours. And I'm like, I'm not sure this is good for yeah. me. I think I should be waiting <laughs> waiting in the way that you did with the shadow <laughs> school books. But yeah, I miss that, the craving and the longing. I think less, less closely. I was like that with Babysitter's Club books. Oh, and yes you know waiting to kind of have an opportunity to get to them and I think you know they'd say In I remember looking in Smith's and mm. they might have three of them but you knew they're about 500 yeah. and you were hoping they'd the have a new one. one next time you're in absolutely
2: and then I was exactly the right age for Harry Potter so I read the first two the summer the third was published so I read one, two and three, kind of all you know, very quickly. And then since, and then had to
1: wait, as did the rest of the country slash the world. <laughs> did not. you ever go to the bookshop at midnight in Q? Did I
2: go? I, don't, I didn't go at midnight, but I definitely went very early on a Saturday morning. Um, I want to say it would be for number, f- either number five or number six. No, I tell a complete lie. Number seven came out when I was, I had a year out before I went to uni. And number seven came out and I was in New York and I was like, I'm not going to, I, I was like, I've been away for six months. And it was my last week of traveling. And I was like, I'm going to wait till I get home because the American edition is not going to match my editions. I'm going to be really patient. I'm going to be really patient. And the youth hostel I was in, I was staying with two really lovely girls who were also from Britain. And they're like, we're going to go down at midnight because it's like, it's like round the there's borders around the corner. I was like, okay, well, that will be quite fun. that will be quite a fun thing to do. So we went, we didn't dress up or anything. And then we got there, I was like, Yes, I'm buying this book, so my
1: Harry Potter number seven doesn't match, but it's fine. It's fine. That's lovely, though, because it's such a brilliant story. <laughs> what were you doing in New York? Were you travelling around America? Or no, were you working so I there? I went to New Zealand for five months, and and had a work
2: visa for New Zealand. This is when I was 19, um, and had like the best time. So I spent the first month travelling, and then I got a job in a bar in Wellington, um, which was. Brilliant, and I met a boy, and it was just all very lovely. Um, and then I spent—I was like, "Well, I've come this far. I've I mean, I'm literally on the other side of the world." So I spent a month coming home. That was like pure holiday. So I did a week in Sydney, a week in LA, and then two weeks in New York, and came home with no money, <laughs> but it was worth. It. it was absolutely worth it. But at
1: least one book. At least one book. Yes, and I think,
2: and I bought, I bought some books whilst I was out in New Zealand. I'd buy them from secondhand shops, read them, and then just give them back to a different second-hand shop and like the joy of youth hostels is there's always a bookshelf there's always something I can remember I read I picked up in cold blood uh the Truman Capote and read it and the final like five pages had been ripped out so I got (gasps) yeah I know (laughs) so I got to the end I was like what? So I then like went to like a bookshop. I was just like stood, just like reading the end. Yeah, but that was yeah, that was definitely a youth hostel copy. And I was like, why? What? What? And that like, again?
1: Who does that? Okay. That's an act. That's
2: it, like an act. Yeah, and then the psychopath fact would they
1: do. Put it back on the shelf. My wife like yeah. I was uh, curious about *In Cold Blood*, and I know what it's like when you're traveling, and you know that the need to read I think when everything's so stimulating and so sort of intense mm. having that sort of quieter time with yeah. yourself is so important and I think that's why you will read anything and it's quite a balancing nurturing feeling but I was wondering whether when you picked up In Cold Blood did you know what it was because I loved it but I my I knew Truman Capote from Short Stories mm. and Breakfast at Tiffany's and I found it so compelling and brilliant and way, kind of clinically thrilling but you know the way he sort of he does it is descriptive and it's lyrical but it is also quite stark. It's very like, this stark. This isn't, isn't what it? I this yeah. isn't who I thought this author was at all.
2: I knew what it was because that was the I think on the plane over or one of the many planes over I'd watched not Capote but the other one that I think is called Infamous which is Toby Jones as Truman Capote and Daniel Craig as the killer that inspired in Cold Blood so I'd watched that So I kind of knew it would be more of the kind of darker side. And I hadn't read much as a teenager. I had not read much. I think I had read Breakfast at Tiffany's because it's like a
1: rite of passage, but I'd not really read much else. There's a short story I think about constantly that he wrote called um, A Christmas Memory. Okay. And I think it might be a little bit semi-autobiographical, but it's about a very, very young boy. And I think his grandmother and their preparations for Christmas, but his grandmother... No one really knew what to do with her. And she had, I don't know if you'd maybe call it a developmental disorder or something. And obviously it's written, you know, Truman Capote sort of recalled it at a time when we knew sort of nothing about... I suppose you know the mental health Mm. of people and it's just this sort of devastating memory of how you know she was his best friend and then the next year he was sent off to like cadet school to join the army and she was sent off to some kind of residential facility in a you know really brutal time when having anyone in your family who wasn't sort of quote-unquote normal was a shameful thing Mm. and it's I read a book, I think Sally Hughes recommended it on the podcast called The Party of the Century okay. about his black and white ball and the planning and how kind of cold and cruel and callous mm. he could be. But his short stories show the enormous tenderness and empathy he's capable of. And, oh, contained multitudes <laughs> yeah. did that matter. But I suppose as well, you know, even in cold blood and his really, really complicated line between sort of exploitation yeah. and how he gets that story yeah. and how he puts those you know, and you think, well they're killers they they're murderers, but he makes them vulnerable and mm. he kind of betrays them. Yeah,
2: no, absolutely. Um I read a few years ago, I think off your recommend your the podcast recommendation, um, <laughs> Swan Song, which is about various women in so it's 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 a fiction it's a novel, um about the various women in Truman Capote's life. That all attend this party, and it's their kind of reminisces. I think I—I I, I was either recommended off the podcast or my best bookish friend, one of you, so I mentioned it. I,
1: uh, it's all falling. Yeah. Into, I like to think I'm. Yeah. I've been, everyone's <laughs> bookish friend. I haven't actually read Swan it's Song. Really I good. remember it's someone really good. talking about yeah. it and saying maybe that is a. That's a book for me to read over Christmas because you know my TBR pile is a. Well under three metres high. Oh well done. <laughs> you must get sense so much, Daisy. It's a real, you know, privilege and a joy of doing this. It is a it grows faster than I can read yeah, them and I do have to make some difficult decisions. I think the hardest thing that I try to sort of resist and you know the pressure of you know being sent all the books that are coming out in twenty twenty four. And sometimes I really want to read a book that came out in nineteen thirty four or nineteen ninety four. What's on your pile? How do you decide what you're going to read? So very badly
2: (laughs) I definitely I I take I take recommendations. Yeah, so I I had my little one in May twenty nineteen. Um so we had about a year just before everything went slightly. slightly wrong. Um and when I was pregnant I kind of I can kind of trace the path I sort of rediscovered reading. Um so for my birthday years prior someone had given me Andy Miller's The Year of Reading Dangerously. And I read it and I just adored it and he talks about how it's not a selfish like if you love reading it's not a selfish act. To, to do it, even if you have a wife, if you, and he talks about how he has a kid, but actually it's, it's, if it's feeding you, that's no that's no bad thing, so I read that, and and he also talked about, because he was a commuter at the time, how actually you can find pockets of time, and then I was like, oh, this man is on Twitter, oh, this man has a podcast, and then I'm going to fangle a tiny bit here, Daisy, I'm really sorry, the second one of Backlist I ever listened to was Imogen. Which you were <laughs> And I was like, oh, this lady has a podcast. Um, and, then, and that's how I got into your book. So I started listening to your book to kind of probably Christmas 2018 when I was like five months pregnant. And I was dog sitting at the time. So I was having to do daily walks with these dogs that I was looking after for two months. And I just listened to the backlog of your book and then got up to date getting more and more pregnant and then when my little one turned up, I was, had properly rediscovered the joy of reading. And I was like, well, like he sleeps quite a bit. So I I think I can carry on. Um And then I kind of, I started to keep a little reading diary that starts from like his birth, his birthday. And then I renew it each year. So I've got like a, a yearly log and many things happened. He was really good at napping. So I had like this guaranteed downtime. Um I work in theatre, so I do contract-based work, so I'm not always working full-time. And then the pandemic! <laughs> and definitely kind of, when I look back on 2020, I had just gone back to work before the pandemic started. I'd just started on a new production. We got about a month's worth of work done, and then everyone, everyone got sent home. And I can remember coming back, because I was working away, but I'd taken the baby with me. I remember coming back being like, well, you still nap like for, like, two and a half hours a day, so I guess I'm just going to, like, read a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> um, and definitely recommendations from your book was a huge thing. An antenatal mum friend that I got, I'm got, i still incredibly close to, she's, like, one of the most well-read people ever, and we have very similar tastes. So she got me into Catherine Heine. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love her. <laughs> Um There's a lot I would love to ask you about. Um, could you talk about... I'd love to hear about your your theatre work. Yes. And also... I think so much about that, about doing a job where, you know, it really depends on live audiences mm. and, you know, worlds and being in that space and how I really, really, really feel for you. And I can only begin to try to imagine what it's like to come back to what I, I guess and hope is a job that you're really passionate mm. about, you know, really preparing yourself for that return. And then the world shuts down yeah. and this <laughs> strange, unexpected thing happens and the, the grief of that, I guess it was yeah it was nuts and is nuts and
2: continues to be so I I am an opera director that's kind of my little patch of theatre um that's so cool. (laughs) thank you some people are like oh okay (laughs) um so I uh started out as an assistant director specializing in opera and I still do some assistant directing mainly for kind of on bigger shows with bigger companies um but this year, I've had the privilege, I've, I've mainly been making my own work. So kind of 2018, when I, was pre- when I was pregnant, I worked on six productions over the course of that year. Three of which I was the assistant director and three of which I was the director. So I was like, okay, well now I'm going to take a little step back because I'm going to have the baby but this feels like a I mean, nice that does kind sound
1: of prolific <laughs> productions, and it sounds like a lot. It
2: isn't. It isn't because because some productions um, can only be like a month, like in terms of kind of two weeks of rehearsal, two week in the th- two, a week in the theatre, and then a week of shows. So actually, it's just a month, um, and there's, there's a lot of prep beforehand. But in terms of like the actual physical being in the room, being with everyone, and yes, yeah, so it kind of the, the split was half and half, and then when my little one was. 10 days old, wonderful company in Glasgow, Scottish Opera called me and I'd had a few meetings with them. And they said, we're doing the opera version of A Midsummer Night's Dream next February, so February, 2020. Would you come and be the assistant director on it? And I was like, that's gonna be perfect because Josh will be nine months old. That feels like a good time to return to work. <laughs> and it's a piece that I love because it's, it's it's the Shakespeare set to music. There's no, it's, yeah, so it's just it's just gorgeous. So that's what I did, and then, yeah, we got about a month into rehearsal of a two-month project, and then it was, no, the theatres are now shut, everyone go home, and came back to the London, the London, this London flat, and I was like, well, okay, (laughs) Um, I'm very lucky that my husband doesn't work in the arts, so he's a, a software engineer, so he worked throughout, and I then kind of refocused on being full time mum for a little bit, but then kind of started like as much as all the lovely reading was really lovely um yeah. I was like i need to I need to be back in a room i need to be I need to be surrounded by people again
1: I think so when you do work in the arts you it's again, I think something that feeds your soul Absolutely. and it's really, really complicated when you do creative work because it's a pleasure and a privilege to do something mm. you love that's a a passion and a calling and it does pay the bills but equally i think elizabeth gilbert talks about that so powerfully in big magic yes i've read big magic
2: i like slightly naughtily so i read it on the digital library and then i took a screenshot of the last two pages when it's like kind of like (laughs) bullet points for like creative life i was like i'm just gonna like it's like instead of just writing them down i'll just you know take a yeah but no she's yeah the way she writes about how if it is a it is a calling but also it is work
1: and it's okay not to love it all the time because it is a job it might be on a different podcast where she talks about inspiration and I think it might be a conversation she has with Brene Brown Mm. they talk about a woman who was at a talk one of them gave and said I put everything into this idea I had and I jumped and the net didn't catch me. And I'm really, really mad at inspiration. I'm really angry at it. Mm. And they said very sweetly and very gently and generously, Well, that happens. Wanting to do it mm, this isn't going to yeah. save you. You can't make it, you can't demand things of it in that way, which I think is a really hard, brutal lesson. What I'm still learning. We'll be back to Emma soon. Usually here I'd bring you a steal of the week, but I'd like to talk a bit about National Energy Action, who are raising funds to end fuel poverty. This has been a really difficult year for all of us in different ways, practically and emotionally. I understand that many of us are struggling and many of us are worried. If you're struggling with fuel bills, National Energy Action is a place to get help. And if you've been enjoying the podcast and you're in a position to send a donation, We'd hugely appreciate it. You can find out more at nea.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Now back to Emma. What were your standout reads from that period? Oh, cause I, I, was, I was looking at my, my little log, uh,
2: logs this morning. I was like, what have I read in the last three and a half years? Cause it's all a blur. It's such a great diary. I mean, is it because I was like, oh, I could blog this. I was like, I'm not going to have the energy. So it's literally, I'll just show you. It's just It's just notes on my phone. Can you see that? Probably not very well. My wonderful bookish friend Lydia lent me her copy of The Female Persuasion by Meg Walletzer. And I'd never, <gasps> oh, to my love shame, that I'd never heard of Meg Walletzer. And Lydia was like, I think, actually, it was just before I went to Glasgow, and it's this really beautiful big paperback that I'm hard back. And she's like, I think you're really going to like this. And I didn't take it with me to Scotland. So when I came back and we were in the pandemic, it was already in my house. And I was like, well, this is mine now. Um, and I stormed through it. I was like, this is just brilliant. And then I read The Wife and I read The Interestings and I read Tenya Nap, which is just wonderful. Um, and I kind of, I just think she's, I'm I'm sort of cross at the universe that I didn't know about her sooner because she's like prolific.
1: I think I felt the same, that I thought I, w- I will love her. Mm. Why, what has taken yeah. me so long? And it does, she does make me feel, she's obviously got a completely thrilling and unique voice and, you know, does all her own work, but they, I feel it's a, Catherine heine mm. Curtis Sittenfeldy feeling Absolutely, I get, Absolutely. Which is all I really ever want when I read it.
2: Yeah, no definitely. And then actually there's a book that I read this weekend. I think it had been recommended like kind of books to look out for this, this autumn. It's called This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub. Straub? Straub? Have you come across yes. this? I've
1: not read it
2: yet. I've heard about oh, it. Crazy. I've heard nothing but good things. Oh, I was like, this, again, I've not read anything by her. Um, and it's brilliant. It's brilliant, and it's there's a little bit of, I don't want to give too much away. It's set in our world, but there's a little bit of kind of like magical realism. And so it's a little bit sci-fi, but not not too much. And then I was then reading reviews, and it's like she's like Meg Wallet. so I was like, that's why I loved it. That's not why, I loved it. but like that's clearly like that's you know, but those kind of you know women re- women writing about women, contemporary women, and what mm. that means, or and, you know, and. What does it mean to have a doll? And is that actually a thing that we want to have? Maybe not. Um, and if you but also if you can feel that you need to pick and choose, then that's also not ideal. So yeah, and then Catherine Heine was I remember I taught I tore through standard deviation. Um, and then I read she's got a collection of short stories, which I only read this year, Mm. and I loved those. And then as a as a birthday present gave to my bookish friend Lydia, I was like, I think you're really gonna like and she would like send me sh- send me photos with like bits underlined like this is amazing. This year, the things that really stood out for me. So I read Sorrow and Bliss in about a day. Um, I was slightly under the weather, and I was be- between jobs, um, and my little one was at nursery. And I was like, I'm just gonna sit in bed with a cup of tea and read this. And I lo- and I loved and I loved that book, but and it was a library copy. And every so often, when I'm in a bookshop. I'm like maybe I'll just buy it so I can have it in my house so I can return to it
1: I was thinking like, am I ready for a reread have I left an appropriate gap mm. and I think I remember it was that kind of like this is the book of 2021 mm. which I think when it first came yeah. out so much sort of you know this is the and feel you know as a an author myself with a book out in 2021 <laughs> feeling a little bit resentful <laughs> and like, mm, for sort of picking it up and being quite like well I suppose but no this is it was excellent this is really really excellent
2: this summer I also read lessons in chemistry again in about a day um I was going I was having a um, slightly tricky personal time um and again so kind of just like had the house to myself for like the day I was like I'm just gonna again from the library and again I'm like maybe I should just like buy habits in my house I just loved that
1: it's really really great though to hear this sort of you know advocating for libraries because I love mm. libraries and I think it's so important and also I get because I'm really 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 lucky in that I get sent lots of books lots mm. of advanced copies and I think because I used to take things out of the library quite a lot and I got out of the way of it in the pandemic my husband produced Dale is a big fan of the library and yeah. is um always getting and i think those books are really special when you get something out of the library because you've got a finite time and you've chosen it and you know you want to read it i think my when i read female persuasion the female persuasion i think that was a library copy so i think it's really important that we are reminded about them and that we use them because it's a real use it or lose it yeah no definitely thing to do um
2: so my local library is, is brentford library in southwest london Um, And it's like less than a 10 minute walk away. And it's got a brilliant children's section. Josh, my little one, still thinks it's like a massive treat to go to the library. Like, yes. (laughs) So we often, yeah, we often go, I want to say kind of pretty much every other week. Because it's like a thing to do. Um, And I think the librarians are, are getting to know us as well, which is really, which is really lovely. And there's definitely been things. So actually I was there a few weeks ago. I'd reserved a few things. I'd reserved the new Taylor Jenkins read Um, which is wonderful. Um, and whilst I was out, I had a little browse, um, and I picked up, which I've just started yesterday, um, Delicacy by Katie Wicks, which I had was aware of, and then I kind of saw it. I was like, oh, well, if it's here, might, yeah. Um, I'm only like a chapter in but it's very good so far and I'm sure it's going to make me weep a lot.
1: I really want to read that. I love Katie Wicks mm. and I don't know if you know there's a podcast called Crushed with Margaret Cable Smith. Margaret's a really brilliant actor. I think she does some stand-up. She's very funny and she talks to different guests about their mostly teenage experience of unrequited love. Okay. Um, it's really gorgeous sort <laughs> of cosy listening. Great. Katie Wicks's episode is one of my very favourites. Oh
2: fab, okay, I will seek seek
1: that out as a um in the spirit of full disclosure i was on it um about a month ago very good <laughs> but you know there are lots of um you know proper important like dolly alderton does a gorgeous episode mm. um if it's sarah Pascoe's really great yeah. the city's really great and i guess that's such a universal topic
2: like i feel everyone pretty much everyone has probably had an unrequ- especially as a teenager has well, an unrequited
1: i've just been lucky enough to read the proof of the new Curtis Sittenfeld romantic comedy I saw I think on Twitter April, and I just which...
2: <laughs> want to ask you about it is it really good
1: <laughs> oh, it's really 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 good and I loved Roger. Mm. I mean I think that American Wife is her masterpiece but um romantic comedy is so pure and so hopeful mm. and it's interesting because it is kind of about the pandemic and okay. I've been very anti like I really don't, don't think I, I want to the read the a pandemic, pandemic yeah. book. but actually she does it in such a an insightful way and it's touching and there's something I think about her where she's so sharp and so funny Mm. that she is anything in the hands of another writer it'd be too sentimental but she just treads that line so well Mm. and it does fill you with hope and joy Mm. um but I was thinking she writes yearning mm. like no one else can she does that so so brilliantly and that's i think the one recurring theme in all her books which are so different mm. and you see it in prep and you see it in rodham mm. um i mean horny hillary i was here for it yes. oh absolutely <laughs> no every i was um i think that twitter was amused when i described um romantic comedy as a horny book but you know <laughs> i like to think that I know that genre well. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, actually, and the first
2: Curtis Sittenfeld I read, which was a few, this is like pre, pre-pandemic, pre-baby, pre everything. Um, when she did El- *Eligible*, and I've, I think I've reread that maybe three times. I just think it's just so brilliantly done because obviously the pl- you—it's know, a very good plot that you're working <laughs> with already, but it's kind of the updating of, of *Pride and Prejudice*. I just inhaled it.
1: I mean that's some advice I would give to anyone who wanted to write in terms of plot because the thing that I think really frightened me about writing novels was, Well, I can't think of a plot <laughs> and I'd have you know, characters and a setup mm. was so, so easy. Yeah. And then following them and seeing what happened and thinking, well I think the book in the books I love, the characters sort of dictate what happens. Mm. It's all a part of what they do and that's fine. But you do have to have a little bit of something surprising and I think that it's really great practice to take a story that's really really familiar and known and loved and just tweak it change the time Mm. change certain details and sort of see how that framework holds up and then you get this really great sense of you know, what a plot can do. And I think people who love, you know, thrillers and sort of crime procedurals and that sort of thing, you know, the plot is everything. But I think that if you love the books we love, Mm -hmm. which are sort of, you know, Meg Wallet's Catherine Heiney, very much about spending time with... Yeah, the characters. ...these really great characters, that that's sort of how you can make plot work for you and make sense Mm -hmm.
2: to you. No, absolutely. Again, I think it was during the pandemic, I read for the first time American Wife. And then uh promptly gave it to my mother-in-law as a, as a Christmas present, and then she then read it, and she was like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's like, it's really good,
1: isn't it? It's really... I think a lot about that book and how she, the, the Laura Bush yeah. character, who's obviously not Laura Bush mm-hmm. for legal reasons, <laughs> is so... she's incredibly good and pure yeah. and sweet and has a touch of the Fanny Price mm. about her, and she shouldn't be quite so charming because she's so sort of perfect and usually that would be a character that we would all struggle with but I don't know anyone who doesn't love American wife and he doesn't love her and in a time when it's fashionable to write these very unlikable heroines Mm. um that there can be someone so lovable I've got I'm reading Bleak House at the moment Uh and I'm really struggling with um esther because oh yeah she's quite yeah and i don't i think you know dickens isn't of all the things that he's really really great at writing women yeah i don't think it's up there it's not not quite on the list (laughs) other other problems with dickens Mm. as well but that she's obviously too good and i love fanny price and i love a good girl but esther's too good even for me yes
2: no i must say so i've not I've not read Bleak House, but I
1: watched the, the, the seminal
2: series that was on.
1: I am reading it for the first time age 37, because for although my whole life I thought, I don't want to read a book about a bleak house, <laughs> thank you.
2: <laughs> and actually, I did want to talk to you about Dickens, because one of my, um, if you were here, Daisy, I could show you, but I'll, I'll move the iPad, um, one of my prized possessions. So my, my paternal grandad passed away, gosh, probably about a decade ago now, um, and when we were clearing out his house my dad uh his son was like there's anything that you'd like um and he had a complete dickens um i think you can see them and uh, they're behind it's like a full oh yes up. so it's a full <gasps> set so I've
1: oh, got beautiful editions
2: my... oh, there's so much in the way but they're all there for i've read a few of them in, the, in those in those editions but i also feel they're kind of almost too too beautiful to to actually use and they're sort of more of a a statement piece but the um the joy of my work is that every so often um, you need prop book, prop books for a show, and I, and you kind of need something that's kind of read can kind of be from any era. So those those Dickens, I think it's always great expectations has kind of ended up in various productions that I've done. Um and my dad especially, he's always like, Oh, like your granddad would have loved this. I'm like, well <laughs> like kind of little
1: That is brilliant. That's such a lovely tribute to him in yeah. a way to keep him alive. Did your grandfather ever talk to you about the Dickens or do you know if he had a favourite? Did he have a favourite? I think he liked David Copperfield.
2: I think it was more kind of that they were there as a kind of because he was sort of a self made man. Um as a kind of a this you know and now we have like great literature on the
1: on the shelf (laughs) someone was talking to me recently about that um and I guess it would have been the early 20th century and it was a point of pride that you would read Dickens Mm. and you'd you know to have read the complete Dickens and get to the end and start all over again and just keep reading Mm. that was a very sort of you know aspirational thing to do Mm. in your household and a very like a proud not proud in the kind of Ballet Shoes, Pauline yeah. getting told <laughs> off for being, you know, a bit of a cow. But yeah. it's something to be, something to kind of set your store by, I guess. Talking about Ballet,
2: ballet Shoes, have you read The Whalebone Theatre by Joanna Quinn? Do
1: you know, my friend of the podcast and of me, um, Jo West, mm. she, it's her book of the it's year. so she good. she keeps saying, you'll love it, you'll love it's it, and I really so want good. to read it. It's like,
2: so I mean, uh, unsurprisingly, anything with like a theatrical base... I'm like, this is the book for me. Um, but it's also, it's basically like the Cazalets sort of meets ballet shoes, sort of meets life after life. It's just, ama- it's just amazing.
1: The Cazalets meets ballet shoes is if like, someone could write a book <laughs> for B specifically, that would be it. Yeah. So it's sold. Yeah. I think you're really, really. If like Santa it. is listening, <laughs> very sadly, I could have this conversation all day, yeah. <laughs> but I think we probably need to um, press pause yes, for now. Um, I'd love to hear about the books. If there's anything on your pile that you're excited about reading, if you've got any Christmas reading planned or books you're looking forward to in 2023,
2: I got it last Christmas. I've not actually cracked it yet. Um, I've got The Lincoln Highway by Amor
1: Towles. Is that how you say it? Like... <laughs> I think it's Amortals, told. but I really wanted it to be Amortals mm-hmm. because that's hilarious. <laughs> so I, a friend of mine,
2: again years ago, recommended me Rules of Civility, and I bought it. And I didn't read it for ages, and then I took it on holiday and stormed through. I was like, "Well, this is amazing!" Um, and then not long later, I was at my uncle's house, and he's also a big reader. And he had A Gentleman in Moscow. I was like, oh, I know this author. So we did a little book swap. <laughs> so I, and, it was really, and then I like tore through A Gentleman in Moscow because I know that you've, in, you've interviewed him. The thing that's really stayed with me from his interview, if you're of a certain age that and, and basically giving up on a book and you subtract, you should read the first 100 pages minus your age,
1: Yes, Nancy Pearl, the famous librarian. That's Oh, it's her hers,
2: okay. But he definitely and I was going remember thinking like,
1: that's really good advice. That's like
2: it's like proper because there's definitely some some books I'm like, no, I must I must carry on and it's improving. Um so yes, yeah, so i got the Lincoln Highway and I got it last Christmas and it's this beautiful hardback edition. So it's not very portable, so it's sort of kind of and I've been away a lot this year working, which obviously has been amazing, but I've not really taken it with me. So I got that. Um, and I've also just bought, been given, sorry, um, Bourneville by Jonathan Coe, and I love Jonathan Coe, oh, and I've loved him since I, I loved a teenager. J. I wrote my UCAS um, personal statement about the Rogers Club. <laughs> Don't know why I anyone really? let me do that. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm really, I'm really excited to read Bourneville, but I also know I'll read it really quickly and then be really sad that I finished it. So I'm sort of saving saving that and then obviously very excited
1: for the new Curtis Sittenfeld that's out next year and if you're listening people pre-order early (laughs) pre-order often pre-order from your local independent bookshop because I know it's and I know people like me are very annoying and when you're like you must read this book that's coming in six months like yes that (laughs) is quite frustrating but also it's a really great way to support bookshops I think as well and Mm. give them a sense of what people are excited about and what they're looking forward to and also It makes me so happy. And I do, because quite most um, indies post, and we've got a great bookshop near where I live, the Margate Bookshop, but I do sort of sometimes rotate a bit and every so often if I see, I think like the Big Green Bookshop and Fox Lane books Mm. often have signed ones. So they'll announce it, I'll order it, I'll completely forget Mm, about it. And then I'll get it in the post as a surprise. That's always
2: the best, always the best thing. I remember I pre, digitally, I pre-ordered Rodham completely forgot how i'd done that and then it just appeared one day i was like oh, a gift
1: <laughs> and, and that was the time when we really needed books. yeah no absolutely i've had so much fun thank you no, so thank much, you for, coming so much the for making it's the been time. a joy i was really delighted to have you and um i know that you're here because you were supporting a truly brilliant mm. cause um the the author fuel fund um and i will definitely be sharing information about how anyone listening can support that or you know a similar cause in some way i know no one has any spare money at the moment and paying our own fuel bills <laughs> is a struggle but i'm sure you know in the off chance that some you know billionaire is listening and <laughs> wanting to um wanting to do some good i will put that out there but thank you so much for you know supporting that no, my because pleasure. it's such a, a fantastic thing to do Huge thanks to Emma. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by ACAST. We'll be back soon with our Christmas special, but for now I leave you with this from William S. Burroughs: You do an awful lot of bad writing in order to do any good writing. Incredibly bad. I think it would be very interesting to make a collection of some of the worst writing by good writers. See you next time.